Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight for us to be with you on this Tuesday, July the 14th of 2020. We are so happy, as always, as we like to say, and honored uh, to have each and every one of you join us, all our listeners. We thank you for uh, taking out of your time to join us as we study the Word of God together. So much has been, uh, ha- we have been gleaning in these last few days. I believe this is now our seventh, if I'm not mistaken, our seventh uh, part of the series on the Song of Solomon. And what a delight it's been, the things that we've been gleaning. And I'm excited today uh, for what God is going to, what we're going to be studying today from the Word of God. I know that God has something fresh. He has fresh manna for us. Amen. If we search, if we look, there's always something new that God has for us. It's always a pleasure to be here with the panel, uh, Brother Marty, Brother Fernando, to be able to study the Word of God together. Brother Marty. I'll leave it with you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back again today. Uh, We're entering into our uh, seventh part in this series on the Song of Solomon. And we've been focusing on chapter two. We've talked at length about the the prophecy hidden in, in one of the most beautiful ways it's really been a dilemma through the years of church history uh, with many, many scholars uh, as to uh, its real meaning and its intent. It almost seems like it's out of place. It speaks of great passion uh, between uh, a bridegroom and his bride. And on the surface of it, many of them uh, really, when they talk about it, they find a difficulty in trying to understand it and and why it was included in the scripture. However, they all agree that it is, of course, part of the scripture. And one of the most interesting quotes, as we talked about early on in our series, it came from the rabbis uh, that I read where where they said that really the Song of Solomon uh, was speaking about Mashiach or the Messiah and his bride. And really it's it's full uh, revelation wouldn't be understood until the end of days just prior to the coming of the Messiah. And we believe that those days have come. And, and, and so I, we encourage you to go back and listen to every single part of this uh, series. And, and we're hoping to uh, to bring it to a conclusion today. And I think what you'll see today um, will hopefully encourage you and bring you closer to an understanding of the exact time frame in which we find ourselves living right now, what is just ahead of us in the days ahead and ultimately the culmination of the return of our King, our Heavenly Bridegroom. And so with that in mind, as we begin today, I'd like Brother Jeremy, if you could, um, read from chapter 2 of the Song of Solomon, uh, verses 16 and 17, please. Yes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies until the daybreak, and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. Praise God. So, until the day break and the shadows flee away, that'll be our emphasis today. And what he was actually saying there, what was being recorded there, um, is, is of, a, of an incredible insight. 
uh, as we as we conclude today. I want to again encourage you go back and listen to to the to the other parts if you're just joining us today so that you can fill in. But as we said, the prophecies are hidden within the passionate poetry of, of the Song of of Solomon, and we want to focus and, and and quickly go through uh, the things that that we need to look at today and there's a lot of things we're going to look at so let's let's just get right into it as we described um where we left off yesterday in verse 8 of chapter 2 the bride uh reveals something could you read that in verse 8 brother jeremy yes the voice of my beloved behold he cometh leaping upon the mountains skipping upon the hills praise god so remember like we've been sharing in order to fully understand the song of solomon it must be understood from from the prophetic aspect and so there are keys within the poetry itself that we are able to look into other parts of the scripture in order to get fuller understanding and uh, as we've said please go back and listen so that you can be filled in but i think you'll get the gist of what's being said here First of all, we know that what's being talked about here in verse 8 is that the midnight hour has arrived. Her bridegroom has been gone. We we put forth the thesis that, that verse 5, 6, and 7 is basically the history of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the bride, uh, the, the removing of the presence of God uh, as the uh, from Israel as to the nation that was meant to take the gospel to the whole world by her rejecting of the messiah she lost that right she lost that mandate and it was transferred to a new nation a spiritual nation which we call the church of the lord jesus christ early on primarily made up of the jewish people but over the last two thousand years has become a great bride of both jew and gentile and so verse five six and seven of chapter two basically are dealing with that the the ascension of the lord after his resurrection the outpouring of the holy spirit and then the transference of of the presence of god to the to the new uh, covenant church where she turns in verse 7 and she charges the daughters of jerusalem and prophesying over them that they would they would in for all in, in, intents and purposes become a blind nation and they would wander uh in a state of slumber as it pertains to the prophetic scriptures until the lord would please and so when we get to verse 8 what brother jeremy just read there we have another key because now after thousands of years of history she hears the voice of her beloved and as we talked about many times uh this is referring to the midnight hour and we we use matthew chapter 25 and the, and the parable that jesus gave uh, to the wise and the uh, and, and the foolish virgins. When you get to Matthew chapter 25, verse 6, you hear uh, the declaration made, Behold, uh, the, the bridegroom cometh, the voice of one crying, the bridegroom cometh. And here we see this, this bride using the same language. She talks about the voice that she hears, and then she talks about the message that she hears, that he's coming. So the message in, in, in what we've been saying right now is that we believe that the midnight hour indeed has, has arrived and that the message that God is turning his, his servants to at this moment now to declare is that he's on his way. And it's a message that has to be emphatically declared that he's coming. 
And he's coming to execute judgment. That is why she goes on in verse 8 to reveal when she says, leaping upon the mountains and skipping on the hills. He's coming leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. And as we, we revealed in the prior couple podcasts, the, the term mountains that she's using there is referring to the book of Revelation, where in chapter 17 it, it's revealed that the seven heads are seven mountains upon which the woman sits. The seven mountains being referred there in the book of Revelation are the is the is the mountains of all the compilation of all the great global empires throughout history that now collate in the prophetic scriptures to become one system headed by the Antichrist himself, this global system, this this emerging global system that we see now. It is we're just days away from that implementation. And so we know that we're nearing the time. But what the bride is declaring here is that her beloved is coming. And we talked about the words leaping on the mountains. The word leaping means it literally to come quickly and swiftly upon the mountains. So what she's beginning to reveal and what she's beginning to preach in the midnight hour is that the Lord is indeed on his way and that she is witnessing and declaring to a system that has rejected him that he's coming swiftly to execute judgment on that final kingdom represented by the mountains. She also goes on to say that he'll be coming skipping upon the hills. And like we talked about, the word skipping literally means or has the idea of one who gathers their knees up toward their chest as they're about to die. And and so the hills, if you look it up in the Hebrew, as we've already talked about, it represents all the places of idolatry, of sacrifice to the demonic. And that is that is that is what we're actually going to see in its fullness not too many days from now, when the world system ultimately rejects the Lord. And and already we've seen an incredible rise of of this idolatry, this this occult nature that's that's gripping the the globe in a way that I've never seen in all the years that I've been alive. And so we know the time is near. But what she declares is he's coming to destroy this, to put an end to this. And and so verse 8 concludes. Verse 9, she reveals who he is. Can you read verse 9, Brother Jeremy? My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows showing himself through the lattice. So after declaring those things we were just talking about, what he's coming to do, she's first alerted, like we said in verse 8, she hears his voice. There's a group of people of you out there right now listening and those that will be listening later when we rebroadcast this on, on multiple platforms. But those of you who have been listening and following what we've been teaching as the Lord's been giving it, as we, we know uh, and, and that many around the world are hearing that voice. They're hearing the voice of the Spirit, the voice of the Savior telling them, these are the days, and he is soon to come. And what he's coming to do is to exercise judgment upon an ungodly world that has had the hand of grace extended to it for thousands of years. And so we know that he's coming. And as she declares that message in verse 9, she then begins to reveal who he is. And, and, and that is really what his characteristics are, what, what he what he appears to her as he's on his way, she says he's like a roe or a young heart. And the word roe in the Hebrew comes is the word 
Sebe, T S E B E E. That's how you would phonetically spell it in English. Sebe, and it literally means to be the most prominent, the most glorious in splendor, in glory, and honor. And and that's a powerful thing because after she's declaring that he's coming to judge the system, she begins to reveal how she sees him and how he will present himself to the world. He's no longer going to come as that meek and mild uh, savior who will die for the sins of the world. When he returns, which is not too many days from now, he's going to return in all his prominence. He's not just prominent. He's the most prominent. He's been given a name above every name. And that's what she's saying. And to look upon, he, he he's full of splendor. He's full of honor and glory and wisdom. That's how she sees him. And that's how she declares him. She says, my beloved is is this. He's the most prominent, the most magnificent, the most glorious, the most honorable. And then also in that word row is the root word which expresses the state of mind of her Savior, of her beloved. It comes from the root uh, T-S-A-B-A-W, Sabah in the Hebrew. It's the root of the word Sabi. And, and that root word gives us... Uh, an insight into the attitude and the state of mind of our Lord as he's making his way to come and and claim the earth, to claim his kingdom. The word sabah means to, to swell inside, uh, to be torrid, and to array an army or gather an army. It's really powerful because when she says he's a row, all of that in the Hebrew is what that means. That he's the most prominent, the most glorious, the most magnificent to behold. He's full of honor, and he's being moved now at the midnight hour. The time has arrived, and it's as if it's, it's the culmination of the ages swelling up within him. And he begins to gather his army, the hosts of heaven, his saints, and, and the angels, so to speak. That's how she begins to reveal who he is. And she also calls him the the uh, the young heart, and and that word young heart literally means uh, to be gray or or dusty, or to grind to dust. So he's coming as that magnificent King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's coming to grind to dust and blow away all the rebellion that has existed since the Garden of Eden and the thousands of years of human history wherein men have refused to accept his grace, and now the time is, is at hand. And so that brings us to verse 10. Can you read verse 10, Brother Jeremy? Yes. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Praise the Lord. So what he begins uh, to say to her, what he begins to, to reveal to her, excuse me, Verse 9. Could you read verse 9? I got ahead of myself there. Verse 9, brother. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. So she reveals first the quality of what he appears like to her. We just went over that, what the roe and the young heart actually mean. And then she begins to reveal to us something incredibly extraordinary. 
very, very extraordinary as it pertains to prophetic events. Now, she says three things. He stands behind our wall, he looks forth at the windows, and he shows himself through the lattice. Now listen, we have to remember she she has declared that he's about to return, right? In verse 8, behold, he's coming. <laughs> so we have to remember that as we go along in here because that's what unlocks the, the prophetic poetry here. We have to take scripture with scripture. We know it's the midnight hour because she hears his voice and the message is he's coming. Same exact message in Matthew 25, verse 6. Behold, it's the midnight hour. Behold, he cometh, go ye out to meet him. So it's the same message. So we have to interpret the scripture this way and look at it the right way. Because remember, like I said, she's declared that he's about to return. And so we have to interpret uh, the scripture uh, from this perspective so that we can see what's hidden here and what's being revealed. The first thing she says is, behold, uh, he standeth behind our wall. And I wanna I wanna show you something here because this is this is really interesting. Because to fully unlock the balance of this chapter two, this is where we're headed now. He's standing. Now we know something causes him to delay, which we'll get into in a second, but he's standing. To fully understand what's about to unveil now, we need to go to the book of Revelation and we're going to see some things. Brother Jeremy, could you turn over to the book of Revelation chapter 5, please. Yes. Let me know when you're there. I'm there. All right. So again, remember what's the first thing she says? That he standeth behind our wall, right? So the operative word that we're going to explore here and what it is that he's standing to do is about to be revealed in the book of Revelation and 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 brother jeremy would you read uh verse four and five first of all and i wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon and one of the elders saith unto me weep not behold the line of the tribe of judah the root of david hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So first what we see here is we're, we're given an insight by the, the Apostle John as he's caught up into heaven. And what he begins to see and what he, what, what he begins to, to reveal here is, is, is what we're going to look at here in a moment. And, and that is that, that the Lord himself is about to walk up to the Father who is seated on the throne. And he's going to take out of his right hand the, the, the book of judgment, the judgment that's about to come upon the world in the final uh, years of history here. And so it's a book of judgment. It's a book of seals. But the first thing that, that, that John draws our attention to is how he wept. Because what we see in verse one, could you read verse one and two and three, brother Jeremy? So we take it in context here. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to lose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, 
neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. What we have to understand here is that what's being presented to us in Revelation chapter 5 is our attention is drawn to, to the Father sitting on the throne. And in his hand now, what is, what is his open hand, is a book. The book is written on the inside, <laughs> on the outside, and on the, on, the, on the back side of the book. And then it's sealed with seven seals. This is the book of judgment. Judgment that comes upon the planet and comes upon mankind, humanity. Uh, along with the enemy himself, as, uh, that's for another day. But what what begins to be proclaimed throughout heaven is is a question is being asked: Who's worthy to open this book? Who's worthy to loose the seals thereof? And apparently, in verse three, a search is being made, and and they come to the conclusion after they search: There's no man in heaven, there's no man in the earth, and there's no man under the earth that's able to open the book and even to look on it. And what this produced in John, in verse 4, is that he wept much because no one was found worthy. But as he's weeping, in verse 5, we're told that one of the elders comes, and they tell him, do not weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And after he's told this, read verse 6 to us, would you, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So what's interesting, again, remember, we're exploring the Song of Solomon. Chapter 2, we've come to verse 9. She presents him as a roe and a young heart. And then she says, behold, he standeth. Remember where he is. He's in heaven when she's seeing him, her bridegroom. And so here in Revelation chapter 5, what we're focusing on is the word standing. Because the word standing is always used in the Bible in context with the Lord in, in, in these cases. Where he stands, it, it, references, it references his power, his authority, and his ability or his right to judge and to bring judgment. So when John weeps and cries because no man is worthy, he's suddenly touched by one of the elders and told he does not need to weep because the lamb has prevailed. If you remember when we talked earlier on in, in this podcast series of the Song of Solomon, we talked about the phrase, his banner over me is love, where he invites his bride into the into the bride chamber or the chamber of his house, which is where the new covenant was cut. We reference that as being the Passover. The Passover is where Jesus said, I'm cutting a new and an everlasting covenant. That was a marriage contract. And then uh, after a marriage contract is cut in, in Hebrew tradition, then a dowry must be paid to redeem his bride to himself. And that's what Jesus did. He went to Calvary and he paid the price. He prevailed. He, and that's why she declares his banner over me is love. As we said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this, this prevailing is a result of the cross and the resurrection. And that's why he tells him not to weep, because he has prevailed. He's the spotless lamb. So after, after she declares who he is, if you remember in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 9, she then sees him standing. 
what she is witnessing, what is he hidden in those poetic uh, prophecies there, is exactly what John is seeing right now. The Old Testament concealed is now becoming the New Testament revealed in the book of Revelation, because as she sees her bridegroom standing, so John sees someone standing. Could you read just the first part, Brother Jeremy, of verse 6? Yes. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. He's standing, right? The lamb is standing. Yes. And what he's about to do is is to walk up to the father in verse 7. Can you read verse 7? And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. He comes and takes the book, and he's about to, to loose the seal. So in essence, he stands. And notice how he's seen. He's seen as a lamb, but he was slain, but now he's alive. That's that resurrection that we're talking about in the Song of Solomon. And when she sees him at the midnight hour and what he's getting ready to do, she sees him as one who stands. And so when you compare the scripture with scripture, what you're beginning to see revealed in the New Testament is what is, is hidden and concealed in this poetry. When he stands, that is the bridegroom. He stands for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to walk up to the Father on the throne and take that book out of his hand. That's what he's getting ready to do. Now go back and read. Uh, keep your finger there, Jeremy, but go back and read would you, uh, to Song of Solomon <clears throat> where she says, He standeth. Yes. Verse 9, I think it is. Yes. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. Right. He standeth behind the wall. So he's standing. And we, and we just put forth the revelation of what that standing was. That's the lamb. That's the bridegroom who's standing. All of that, the prevailing, the root of, of David, the, you know, the root and the offspring of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's all revealed in the book of Revelation. So what she's seeing in Song of Solomon is what John is seeing in the book of Revelation. They both see him standing. And, and then something happens. Because the word behind, right? He standeth behind our wall. The word behind, as we've revealed, or the Hebrew revealed, it, it speaks of delay. So we have to ask the question, what is this delay? What is the delay that's taking place? And, and that's what we're going to see. Because what the delay really becomes and what the delay is that she's witnessing, what causes what seems to be a delay and remember, this is just before he's about to return. This is at the midnight hour. The word behind means delay. So he's going to be delaying in heaven behind our wall because that, that's where he is. He's up in heaven, and, and there's, there's, there's a barrier between it. And, and there's other meanings, as we've already discussed in previous podcasts. But this is what she's saying. He stands. What's revealed in the book of Revelation is he's standing specifically to do something. And that's to take the book out of the Father's hand, like we just read, to open the seals. But then the word behind our wall, up in heaven, it, there's, there's a delay. And so we have to ask the question, what is the, the, the delay? Read verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Revelation, would you, Jeremy? And we'll begin to explore what that delay is. 
And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. So we're we're being told, come and see. It's the same language where she says, behold, right? That's what literally what come and see means. Behold, he standeth behind the wall. Uh, that word behold means to open your eyes, to perceive, to understand. So what we're now saying and what I believe is being revealed here is he stands and what she's actually witnessing by the spirit of prophecy, though written in poetry, <laughs> comparing scripture with scripture, always bearing in mind that in the Old Testament, you have the New Testament hidden. And in the New Testament, you have the Old Testament revealed. And that's what we're seeing. John sees him stand just like she saw him stand. We now know, based on the book of Revelation, why he's standing is to go and take this book out of the hand of the Father on the throne because judgment's about to fall. That explains the delay. That's why he didn't come right away when she saw him. She's preaching the message that he's coming. It's the midnight hour and she's awake. But then she takes us and shows us by her poetry, if you will, or he shows us by that poetry that the reason he's standing in heaven is because that represents he is now becoming the judge. And the delay or the behind the wall, the reason he stayed back for for a little bit is because he's getting ready. Quite possibly, we're saying, what we're witnessing is he's getting ready to open the seals. That's the delay. The seals must be opened before he comes. And that now makes sense at the very next thing that he does. What is that, Brother Jeremy, in verse uh, 9? 9. And he looked forth at the windows. Yes. And and what we're saying here uh, is is the delay is the the result of him opening the seals. But then something happens, the way she words it. While the seals are being opened, he begins to look forth at the windows. That is the opening in the dimensions, if you will, you know, because that word window literally means a hole that is pierced through the wall. And without getting incredibly deep in another subject there, but that's really talking about the veil that's between us and eternity, between the earth and heaven. And as he's opening the seal that in this temporary delay, as the seals are being opened, he begins to intently gaze. That's what that means. He looketh forth at the windows. He begins to really look and scrutinize what's going on on the earth. That's what she's revealing here. Why is that? Because the seals are being opened. Judgments are beginning to be poured out. And he's intently witnessing it from his position behind the wall in the delay. But now we want to come to something here as well, because this is where the church has a very difficult time dealing with it, because it doesn't fit into the into the popular eschatology or study of end-time things. But this is what the Bible is revealing. What is happening here is, is he's also beginning to, to show forth his, his, his concern. Because the opening of the seals are going to result in, in something. And it says he's looking intently. And I believe that the reason that is, is because when he reaches the fifth seal, something happens. Can you read the book of Revelation, chapter 6, Brother Jeremy, and the opening of the fifth seal in verse 9? 
Or actually, would you read okay. verse 9 through 11? Read, read all the way through 11. Okay. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season unto their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So what do we see here? One of the reasons she says he looketh forth at the windows, Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 9, after he has stood, which represents as the judge in the book of Revelation, he stands as the judge taking the book that brings the judgment upon the planet out of the Father's hands. He's delayed behind the wall. He's delayed because the seals are being opened. And then he begins to look with great intensity and scrutiny through the wall, really, through the multiple dimensions where he gazes intently upon the earth and in an, an incredibly intense way. Because when he gets to the fifth seal, that's where his attention is drawn to his bride. Because the fifth seal, as Brother Jeremy just read, it, it as soon as it's opened, we begin to see what is being revealed. The opening of the fifth seal brings the martyrdom and the persecution of the end-time church. What's interesting is as soon as the fifth seal is opened, we seem to have a revelation of all uh, the history of the first century church through history and the persecutions that have taken place. Notice when you read the book of Revelation, they're not active or, or crying out until the, the seal is opened. He sees them under the altar, the souls of them that were slain, verse 9, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, past tense. But when you get to what is told them that they, that they have brethren, that's the opening of the fifth seal concerns that future end-time church. Verse 9 are all those who have died in Christ and especially those who died up under persecution. Once the fifth seal is open, it's as if in the spirit or in the realm of heaven, they are activated and begin to work together with the loosing of the seal in their intercession. Because notice where they are. They're under the altar. Their souls are under the altar. <laughs> and they begin to cry out in verse 10 with a loud voice saying, How long? O oh Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell on the earth? And white robes are given to them, every one of them, and it was said unto them that they needed to rest, what? For a little season. It's, 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 there's yet a season that has to be fulfilled here, and that season is what? Their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that should be martyred as they were, should be fulfilled so there remaineth a persecution verse 9 is is the previous early church verse 11 is the end time church and so we're being revealed here exactly why he looketh through the windows 
the seals have been opened. And I believe when he gets to the fifth seal, he begins to even more so intently scrutinize. Remember what is said here by her in the Song of Solomon, behold, he's coming. And here in verse 11, at the opening of the fifth seal, we're told it's just a little season. Can you read that again? Verse 11, Brother Jeremy? Of Revelation 6. Yes. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season unto their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we're being told here of an end time persecution. That is why the Song of Solomon uh, speaks of him looking intently through the windows. His attention is drawn to his bride, and she's about to go through persecution. She's about to go through what the early church went through, the same thing. And the two are connected. So he's loosing the seals. That's what's taking place in the Song of Solomon. That's what's happening. The seals are being loosed. And we know that by comparing Scripture with Scripture. But we also draw comfort from verse 11, where he says, it's but a little season. This isn't a long, historical, drawn-out thing here. These are the end of days. The intensity picks up and the persecution turns. We've already seen that. And we're seeing it. Go ahead, brother. I'll say this. And and by them saying how long or the question being posed how long, again, it it indicates uh, a delay. These are the souls under the altar who have given their life for the gospel. And they're crying out to the Lord, how long until you avenge our blood, right? So they are martyrs who who, who have uh, been persecuted and and killed. And then it mentions the word little season, right? Again, it's a a short time frame uh, of persecution. How long that season is, uh, we can only speculate. But uh, Matthew 24, uh, let me see if I have it here. it says this, and except those days or that season, the little season should should yes. be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened, or or shortened literally means amputated. It's it's yes. it's, it's God is going to completely uh, cut that little season of persecution short by what? Through His salvation, by His coming, right? Yeah. But again. So what causes, well, what is indicating here, what causes, and you and you and you gave us examples of that of Jesus standing. What causes yeah. Jesus to stand? Is, that's the question we have to pose. What causes Jesus to stand? Right. And as a judge, as someone who is ready to judge, open up seals and judge uh, the the earth or the inhabitants of the earth who persecute his people. Well, that's exactly it. It's the persecution of his people that causes him to stand up. We saw that it was Stephen. He said that, yeah. that he, the heavens were open and, and he saw uh, the Son of Man standing right, uh, by the throne yeah. of God. So we, we see the connection there. Every time he's standing, it's because there's persecution taking place on the earth. But he, he allows a little season, a, per, a little bit of persecution to come. And then how long that season is, we don't know. But it's going to be cut short by his coming. Amen. And that brings us to the final thing she says, right? Brother Jeremy, can you read that in, in Song of Solomon? 
because we believe by the time this is made, this statement that she makes, that we, uh, we've already seen the fifth seal open. That's why he's he's looking intently through the windows. Remember, it's poetry, but it's it's but it's prophecy hidden within the poetry. So we have to compare scripture with scripture. We have to allow the poetry to dictate to us uh, the keys necessary to unlocking it. And and like we started out in verse eight, she starts with the key saying, "I hear his voice," and then she gives the other key, "He's coming." So we know by those keys that that's the same phraseology that's used in Matthew 25, the midnight hour. It's the same voice. It's the same message. He's coming. Then she sees him standing, right? And, and, and so that's what's being revealed here is prior to his coming, there's an alert made that he is coming. And then what begins to occur in order to bring that ultimate uh, coming of the Lord back to the earth to rule and reign he must become the judge. And that's why she sees him standing. And the book of Revelation reveals a lamb standing. And, and then he goes and takes the book out of the hand of the Father to begin and initiate the final judgments upon the earth. And in the initiation of that, we see that explains the little season that Brother Fernando was talking about, because that's the delay that we see in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, behind the wall. He stays behind the wall. For what purpose? We're putting forth that what the scripture seems to be indicating and what's hidden in that poetry, it is for the loosing of the seals. And then the attention is drawn to his intent scrutiny on the earth. Why? Because the seals are being loosed. But also, the fifth seal being opened brings that persecution upon the church the end-time church, just as it was the, the early church that we see represented by souls under the altar when the fifth seal is open. So there must be a coming together uh, and, and, a, and a, what's the word, a symmetry, a balance that takes place in the economy of God, the way things are worked out uh, in, these, in these matters. So then it brings us to the mystery uh, uh, that she's about to reveal because when the persecution or the fifth seal is open and we know a persecution is coming, she then crosses into the third thing she says. And what is that brother Jeremy in chapter two, verse nine, what's the third thing she says? Showing himself through the lattice. Showing himself through the lattice. And we described that in podcast number five, I believe it was where that, those words, the word showing himself. Now remember, He's looking intently. We're saying that's the fifth seal and the other seals that have been opened at this point, but particularly where they're being martyred. He then, he, so somewhere between the intent looking through the windows, the opening of the fifth seal and the showing himself to his bride, that is the mystery of, of the catching away of the church, the timing of it. Because we believe what we're going to see right now is, is that. Because the next verse, in verse 10, he tells her to rise up, to come away with him, right? So we know that somewhere between that intense scrutiny and the opening of the seals, there will come the moment where he reveals himself to his church. And, and that's the mystery. But the mystery is found between the sixth and the seventh seal. And, and take a look at that, Brother Jeremy, would you, in Revelation chapter 6. Go back over there. The okay. Because he's on his way. He's on his way to get his bride. But when is that going to happen? We believe we're going to see that's in between the sixth and the seventh seal. 
What does he do in the in verse twelve? After the after he opens the fifth and the martyrdom begins for a little season, then what happens? And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So we know that the opening of the sixth seal takes it to another level. And what you will go on to find it when you read the balance of the chapter is that's indeed what's what's coming, that the wrath of God is about to be poured out. It hasn't been poured out. It will be described in the balance of the chapter, but it hasn't occurred yet. But the loosing of this of the sixth seal initiates it. What he he describes it as the sun becoming black, a sackcloth <coughs> of hail, and the moon becoming as blood. That's the prophecy of Joel fulfilled, because he said that the that the sun would lose its light and the moon would become as blood just before the great and the notable or terrible day of the Lord, the terrible day of the Lord or the day of the Lord always references the final period of time uh, of human history that experiences the wrath of God. But notice the sixth seal is open and we still have no mention of, of the showing of himself and telling his bride to come away with him. But that's where we end up coming to, to, to understand that what this seal does is begin to 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 bring the wrath of God close to the earth. Now we do know from Scripture that the church is not appointed unto wrath. Isn't that correct? We know that, yes. right? <laughs> that that's yes. the promise. For, for God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. What's different about what we're seeing in the Word and what's been portrayed over the last century, at least, and especially in charismatic and Pentecostal circles is that the bride of Christ literally isn't going to go through anything. So we're all going to be taken off the face of the planet before we see anything. Well, that should have happened by now, but you know, that's for another day, if their theology was correct, right? But here we see, and, and we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, the fifth seal is open and the saints are being persecuted. And, 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 and the wrath of God hasn't been poured out yet. But we see a persecuted church at the end of time. But once the sixth seal is open, we know the wrath of God is getting close to happen. And, and, and that's why verse 16 and 17 reveals that the sixth seal is open and they say something in verse 16 and 17. What do they say, Brother Jeremy? Chapter 6. It says, uh, And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So we know that the opening of the sixth seal is going to bring the world to the wrath of God. And that's what's being revealed here, the opening of the sixth seal. But then there's like a pause. Because remember what she reveals is that once he begins to intently look, he stood We've already gone over this. He's taking the book out of his hand in the book of Revelation. He's opening the seals. We come to a persecution moment. He intently is looking in the Song of Solomon is how it's put. And then he shows himself. He comes to rescue her and says, rise up. Well, so the in-between that we're beginning to see in the book of Revelation will not occur until the sixth seal is open. 
The fifth seal must happen. And when you begin to see the persecution of the church on a global scale, which we're just about there, the only thing that's missing is the American church. <laughs> I mean, that's it. But that's what's coming. Right. That's what's already beginning. I was reading an article the other day of this guy who took his, his car on Saturday uh, and rammed it into the Catholic church while they were having mass or getting ready to have mass. He got out of his car. He 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 poured gasoline all throughout the foyer, lit the church on fire, and left. He got arrested, of course, but he could have killed all those people, but for, but almost burned down the whole church. And this is now taking place in our country. They took a statue. I'm not a, I'm not a Catholic. I'm telling you, I'm not a Catholic. But just over the weekend, you know, they took the statue of the Virgin Mary that's up in front of some church there, and they desecrated it. They absolutely mm -hmm. desecrated. They're pulling down anything that has to do with Jesus. They call Jesus a white European uh, supremacist. One of the CNN anchors the other day on television said, we all know that Jesus wasn't a perfect man. That's what he said. You sent me that right. article yesterday. I think it was, right? I mean, they're already yeah. being moved by the spirit of the Antichrist. They're already being moved in that direction. We know he's near because of what's happening, if you have eyes to see. And what we're being warned about and what we must prepare ourselves for is this very and, scenario. Go ahead. And I'll, I'll say this. You know, uh, we're reading from the sixth chapter of Revelations, the, the opening of the, of the seals. Um, the way is, is classically uh, taught that uh, the, the church is raptured by this time, uh, where we're reading in chapter six of Revelation. And the, the fifth seal martyrs are martyrs that have gone through the great tribulation and stayed in the rapture and didn't take the mark, uh, the mark of the beast, and were, uh, were martyred for, for, the, for the sake of the gospel. Well, n nowhere in scripture are you going to find that the apostles or Jesus said that we would not go through tribulation or for that, or for that uh, case, great tribulation. Yeah. Man says we won't go through great tribulation. Right. Jesus never said that. I challenge anybody. Oh. He never said that. As a matter of fact, he said quite the opposite. He said he promised that in this world we would have great tribulation. Well, people say, well, yeah, tribulation is going to happen. We're talking about the great tribulation here in the sixth chapter right. of Revelation. Again, Jesus never said that. The only thing he said is in First Thessalonians chapter 5, I think verse 9 where he says that we are not appointed unto wrath. We have to make a distinction between the two. That's a good tribulation point. Tribulation or great tribulation is not the wrath of God. Right. And that's, that's a good point because uh, <laughs> uh, just what you said, you know, the wrath of God is different than tribulation. But the Lord told us in the world you'll have tribulation, but never fear for I have overcome the world, right? He's telling us yeah. not to fear. I mean, all of us, uh, you know, have been through, you know, troublous times in our life. But what he's talking about is is what's being explained here, right, which is the intensity that increases. And as we were just talking about just in our current time, the, the intensity is increasing. The, the things are happening all around us. What's happening in this nation, we're the last place. We don't have time to get into this, but we're going to explore this if the Lord allows us to. This nation must be removed. Its influence, yes. its power, its self-righteousness, its perversions, it all will come down. And it's happening right now. 
A judgment has come to the shores of this land precisely because of the moral abrogation of that which was supposed to be the representative of Judeo-Christian uh, uh, relationship with God on the planet. It was the greatest nation of missionaries the world had ever seen. It was the greatest force for good. Uh, not, I didn't say we were perfect, but I did say we used right. to hold to the tenets uh, of the Word of God, and we were a collective people who went to church on Sundays. I'm old enough to remember where we didn't even have businesses opened on Sundays in this country due to the blue laws, they used to call them. You couldn't open your business on Sunday because that was the Sabbath. That's what they called the Sabbath, you know, uh, the Sabbath day or the day of church where we go to church. You know, of course, the Sabbath day is Saturday, uh, if you know, technically speaking. But but that was yeah. the, the kind of country we had. Now we're now we're burning churches, desecrating our flags, you know, uh, hurting our children, killing our children in the womb you know, celebrating uh, lifestyles that are completely abominable according to the d dictates of God. This nation is under judgment. And if you think we're going back to where we were at, at, at the close of 2019, you're insane. <laughs> you're not shut away with God. You haven't uh, been you're, seeking you're, him. You remember that article you sent me, you sent me where uh, uh, the United States put a, uh, uh, a rainbow flag, a gay flag, a homosexual flag on every embassy uh, that we have, proclaiming to the world our sin. Yes, what it that, is that man. we, and, and you know, that, yeah. that sounds so, that sounds so, so much like the woman who has a golden cup in her hand and tries to make the nations of the world drunk with her demonic ways. You know, we're, we went from being, we went from having the greatest generation storming the, the beaches of Normandy and liberating the world from an antichrist figure like Adolf Hitler to now declaring openly that we reject the God that we once preached to the world. And now we're embracing everything that he told us would be our demise. It's, it's, a, it's a society gone crazy. And the world I mean, will brother, always look, be... Look, look what Look what happened with Russia. They doubled down on their constitution on, on the definition of, of marriage that it's between a man and a woman. Yes. That's and, and what Russia we do? we're talking about here. I know. <laughs> we're talking about so Russia. All of a sudden, Russia has better <laughs> values than we do? Incredible. That's about right. That's about right. I mean, that's 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 where we're at, right? So, you know, not to get too far off track here, but this is where we are. You know, this is this is where we are, and the point is, is that what's being revealed here is that is is what's coming, and what she has hidden in in this song of Solomon is coming alive and being revealed. What she witnessed was him standing to to take the seals, but the opening of the fifth seal brings about the persecution of the end time church, and that's what we were just trying to discuss. The persecution is is beginning; it's come to the shores. I mean, we've got roving gangs in our in our streets. We've got people burning down churches, looting stores. We've got the nation on lockdown. We've got a plague hitting us where thousands, tens of thousands, 130-something thousand so far have died. A second wave that's even greater that has come to the shores of this country. The economy is teetering on the brink of destruction, and we're flying the gay flag around the world. Incredible. And... <laughs> oh my goodness and, and that's what we're showing the world 
so when when I when I listen to all these pretenders to 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 the pulpit tell the, the church people that we're headed for the greatest awakening we've ever seen, buddy, no. <laughs> that ain't that ain't what the word says. Now we're not trying to scare anybody. We're trying to give you hope here because it's after the opening of the fifth seal and then the sixth seal is open. That's what we begin to see is proclaimed: the wrath of God is coming. But before the wrath. And after the sixth seal is open, and before the seventh seal is open, that is where we see the mystery. That is where, in there, something happens. And Brother Jeremy, I want you to read, uh, because the seventh seal hasn't been opened, the announcement of the wrath of God is coming, but then something happens. In verse, uh, verse 2 and 3, could you read that? Of chapter 7. Yeah. Okay. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, in their forehead. So what, what's being revealed here is is now that the sixth seal is open, the wrath is coming. But there's a momentary pause. They say, "Whoa, wait a minute! Don't don't hurt the earth yet. Don't let the wrath fall yet. We've got to do something." And what they're told to do is to seal the servants of God, to protect them, to seal them. And then it goes on in verse 4 to say what? It says, and I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So attention is drawn to the salvation of Israel. And remember what we're hearing here. Before the wrath, a seal takes place. And it's 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 the twelve tribes of Israel minus the tribe Dan, hundred and forty four thousand. You can take it for a literal number or you can take it for a symbolic number. It makes no matter to me. But the fact is we're being shown here that Israel is going to be saved. These are they who love the Lord. These are the messianic Jews. These are the ones who get saved. And we see that in the Song of Solomon. And we'll and we'll show that that in a minute. But remember, again, this is in between the sixth seal and the seventh the seventh hasn't been opened yet but 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 the wrath has been announced and a lot's been happening and <laughs> make no mistake about it when you go back and read chapter six you know you've got plagues and famines and wars and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff that we're already seeing you know so what's ahead of us is quite possibly in the not too distant future now we're not predicting dates we know things have to come to pass but i remind you something when you woke up on January the 1st, 2020, could you have in any way imagined we'd be where we are right now as we sit here recording this podcast a little more than seven months later? No way. No way <laughs> did you anticipate this. But it's happened that quick. Overnight. Mm -hmm. I read an article this morning in the LA Times. They're already talking about removing our national anthem. Literally. Oh to just get rid of it and sing some soul-inspiring song now. That's going to be the new national anthem. This is it, people. 
And if you can't yeah. see it, you can't see it. But we are uh, moved by the Spirit of God to tell you, open your eyes. And I know that his bride can hear what's being said. And, 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 and we're just going to leave it at that. So we see before the wrath is poured out, 144,000 symbolic, maybe, literal, maybe. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is that Israel is saved. For all of you anti-Semitic, uh, you know, people who don't believe that Israel will be saved, that's what it says right here. But then uh, comes something else, and that's in, found in, in 9 and 10, because where's the church? We're not part of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, not, not as Jewish blood, that is. But then the church appears, because he says, after Israel is sealed, those 12,000 out of, out of the 12 tribes, verse 9 and 10, can you read that, Brother Jeremy? After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with, with white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And unto the Lamb. So now look where they're at. They're in heaven, right? So he sees the, the Israel sealed, the 144,000, and then his attention is drawn. After they're sealed, suddenly there's, a, there's an innumerable host. That's the bride of Christ, right? That, that's, that's out of every nation, every tongue. They're included in this sealing uh, on the forehead. They're included in this protection. And suddenly in that sealing, they're caught up and we see them in heaven. See, that's what we see revealed in the Song of Solomon. When he shows himself to his bride, he tells her, come away with me. That's what we're witnessing here. It's the in-between the sixth and the seventh seal that's being concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. And notice there's no specific date given because no man knows the date or the hour, but we can know the general time. And, and so we must be ready. And so what we're seeing here is Israel is sealed, the church is sealed, and both of them together are caught up into heaven, and now they're standing before the throne. And this confuses John. And one of the elders asks him a question in verse 13. What does he ask him, Jeremy? Chapter 7, verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Who are these people? He asks him. He's telling John that because he wants John to record it. But he says, who are these people uh, that have these white robes on? Where did they come from? And remember, this is in between the sixth and the seventh seal. What is the answer that John gives him? It's, uh, and I said unto him in verse 14, right? Yes. And I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There you go. So during the great tribulation, we're not given exactly the date, but before the wrath. Now we do know this, and we don't have the lengthy time to get into all this today, but we know that the great tribulation is relegated to the final three and a half years of human history. Forty and two months spoken of in Daniel, 
40 and two months spoken of in the book of Revelation. That is when the Antichrist assumes his, uh, his, his, his height of his power. It is the final three and a half years of human history. It's, Martin, now, this is, I have a quick, yes. Go ahead. I have a quick question. So I believe this is the only time in the Bible where that term great tribulation is used, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's also used in, in Matthew chapter 24. Turn over there, Brother Jeremy, or Brother yeah. Fernando was, just, was there earlier. But it, it connects, yeah. right? You can't understand the book it, of Revelation if you don't understand Matthew 24, right? Or, and the reason I say that, because the, those who believe in a pre-trib rapture call the seven years a great tribulation. The Bible calls the last three and a half years a great tribulation. A great tribulation. That that's was, exactly right. Yeah. And that's a huge yeah. di di distinction. It you is. Know, the, the, you know, the tribulation has been here since since Jesus left, man. I mean, we've been under tribulation, but there's a final last three and a half years of great tribulation. And and there's those who believe there's a seven-year period, right? A, a seven-year tribulation period coupled with what they call the great tribulation in the last three and a half years. But in Matthew 24, um, read verse 20 and 21, because that's where it's also used. Okay. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For when shall be for then shall be great tribulation, such as would not as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And then he says, And except those days, which is what Brother Fernando was reading, uh, should be cut short, there would be no flesh saved. But for who? The elect's sake. Those days will be cut short. See, he's coming for his bride. He's coming for his church. And he uses that phrase again, the great tribulation. He's going to take us out of the great tribulation before the wrath is poured out. That's what we see in the Song of Solomon. Remember what he, we were talking about? He's, he stands. He takes the book. He looses the seals. His intensity increases as he, he's scrutinizing the earth, looking through the windows, right? That's how she puts it in Song of Solomon 2, 9. And then he suddenly shows himself and says, come away with me, my bride. That's what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 7, what we were just reading. This is the coming away, that, that's, that taking away before the wrath, before the great wrath of God is poured out. They came out of the Great Tribulation. So we don't know where exactly, yet, precisely, because it's meant to be that way. All I know is you better be ready, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's after they're taken in between the sixth and the seventh. What we do know is the Bible hints that we have been taken out of the Great Tribulation. We know that the Great Tribulation is a three and a half final year period on the earth. There's just 42 months of human history left before the Lamb of God comes back as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, as the King of Kings. So somewhere in that three-and-a-half-year period is where we're taking, between the sixth and the seventh seal. Because notice the seventh seal unleashes the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what we see after we're taken, the seventh seal is open. Could you read that in verse 8 to confirm that, Brother Jeremy? I mean, chapter 8, verse eight. 1 of the book of Revelation. Eight, verse 1. Yes. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. 
silence in heaven because wrath is about to be poured out. And we don't have time to get into it, but there, it, this, this connects to, to some very profound things into the, the temple service and how things were done in the temple. When, when this is, this is typical when the high priest goes in or, uh, or the one chosen, like we've talked about uh, together us, you know, I've preached many places around the world where Zechariah went into the temple to burn incense before John the Baptist was born and the angel appears that whole time that he's in there. Uh, there's supposed to be silence because there's either going to be wrath or there's going to be an acceptance of the intercession of the prayer that's made by the priest. So what we're actually witnessing here in chapter 8 at the opening of the seventh seal is a replaying only in heaven of, of, of the type that occurs on the earth when the priest burns incense before the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or in the temple. Uh, that silence would occur on the outside uh, to, to render a verdict, to see what's about to happen. In this case, we get seven angels with seven trumpets and then followed by seven vials. That, that's the wrath of God about to be poured out. But the point is, is what is revealed in the Song of Solomon is, is, and concealed there. What's hidden there is actually revealed in what we're looking at right now. That silence and then the showing forth occurs between the sixth and the seventh seal like we were just reading. If it's all too much for you, just put a, put a pause on it. Go back and listen to what we're talking about. Follow us in the scriptures and you'll see. It begins to be made plain. So somewhere between the sixth and the seventh, he shows himself, and we're with him. Now let's go back to uh, to, to Song of Solomon so we can finish this this series real quick here. Are you there, Song of Solomon, chapter two? <clears throat> yes, yes. That, so that brings us to the uh, verse ten through thirteen. Can you read that real quick, brother? Chapter two, verse ten through thirteen. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree put it forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love. My fair Rise, my come away. And come away. So that's what we see. And we're, we're saying this is between the sixth and the seventh seal. That is when he comes to get us. That's why John didn't know who they were. He was probably pre-tribulation. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get that at, at two in the morning, we'll get that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he wanted us to know. He wanted us to know. You know, hey. Uh, this is coming, but 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 I will come to get you, right? So what we want to look at here is 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 verse ten. He tells her to come away, right? He comes to get to get the bride, and and he begins to tell her something. He says the winter is past, right? The rain is over. Verse eleven, that that's that coming out of great tribulation, because the word winter means a dark season, and and the rain is a violent rain. It's passed over you now. You're not going to have to deal with this anymore. He's come to get us. Praise God. You know, he, he says the winter is past. That's the rapture. That's between the sixth and the seventh seal. And then and then what's really cool here is, is he begins to describe it for us, you know, poetically speaking. It's the time of the first resurrection. And that's revealed in verse 12, right? The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come. That, that's that praise and that worship. The flowers of the earth is, is the harvest. 
of the earth. It's the resurrection from the dead of the, uh, uh, you know, the flowers have bloomed. It's, it's, it's speaking of that first resurrection. It reminds me of the book of James. Can you turn over there to the book of James real quick, brother? Yes. And, and look what James reveals. It's the same language. But look what he says. Uh, are you there in James chapter 5? Yes. Chapter 5? Okay. Yeah, read verse 6 and 8 in light of what we've been talking about. You know, the seals, the persecution, the coming of the Lord, and the Song of Solomon here. The singing, the flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing. This is this is springtime. This is resurrection. This is poetic prophecy here. Go ahead, brother. Verse 6 through 8. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he does not fifth, resist wait, you. Yeah, that's the fifth seal right there. <laughs> right? Yeah. You've condemned and killed the just, and they have not resisted you. That's martyrdom he's talking about. Keep reading. Wow. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold okay, wait the right there, because that's, that's what Brother Fernando pointed out, right? That little season. That's the patience he's referencing. You know, the be patient, my brother. Go ahead. He says, Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. But ye also, but be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Draw it nigh. Praise the Lord. So you see what's being said here. That's what reminds me of Song of Solomon chapter 12, because that's what the Lord is telling his bride. Rise up, come away with me, you know, uh, and, and then he talks about the fruit of the earth. James connects it with persecution, martyrdom, right? You killed the just. He's rebuking the people of the last day, and he ties it to the coming of the Lord. Talks about the patience that will be necessary, but it's going to come. And when it comes, it'll be at the time that the Lord determines it's time for the harvest. It's time for the first resurrection. And and it's and so he, he warns us to establish your hearts, to make them sure and steady and be informed in what the scriptures is saying. Whether you do or don't have to experience that kind of persecution, it's important to prepare as if we might. And we think we will. We're already beginning to see it. And we're not trying to scare yeah. anyone. We're, we're trying to encourage you and warn you. We're in this together. We're doing the best we can in the multiple ways that we can to give you what we believe the heart of the Lord is for this time. We are not going back to business as usual. Wake up, settle that in your heart, get your families prepared spiritually, physically, mentally for what's coming. But he promises to come get us. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Right? So what, what, what do we see next in verse 13, Brother Jeremy? Can you read that? Of chapter 2, yes. Song of Solomon? Yeah. Yes. The fig tree put it forth her her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And that's really interesting, the same language. He tells her to, to arise in verse 13, and in verse uh, 10, he tells her to rise up. There's two different phrases here and two different descriptions being made. I believe that the verse 10 rising up is is that dead in Christ. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then it says that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. That's why we see him say it twice. 
it is the fulfillment of First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. The dead in Christ rise first, but we which are alive and remain. That's why she, he uses the descriptive language of the fig tree and the vines. I believe that's a, a reference to the fig tree being Israel, the vines being the church. We are the vineyard, the good grapes that give off a fragrance. And together we will come away with him. But remember, the vineyard uh, are, are, can be likened to what we just read in Revelation. Remember what we read in Revelation? There's a ceiling of the 144,000, right? The symbolic of the nation of Israel. That's what verse 13 is. It's the fig tree. Israel's called the fig tree by the Lord. And, and then the vineyard. We are his vineyard, right? That's the church. That's, that's all the nations that we saw in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, right? Who, you know, an innumerable host out of every tribe, tongue, nation. You know, that, that, that's what we're seeing here. And then the catching away, come up together. But we're alive, right? We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with who? With the verse 10 people, the dead in Christ, the martyrs. Together, Amen. we're going to rise. So now, yeah. it, it's, it's, you have something to say? No, no, I'm saying amen. The dead in Christ will okay. rise. Amen. Now, and now as we close this, we're going to go really quick. Uh, we've been going now for about an hour, a little more than an hour and a half, actually. So listen, we're going to go and, really and, quick. And I'll say this. I'll say, I know we got to finish, but I'll say this. Again, the pattern holds true. Uh, we see the sixth seal is the dimension of the wrath of God uh, about to be poured out upon the earth. And then what do we see in the next chapter? Right? Yes. It seems like it seems like a gathering around the throne. That's exactly that's it. Like that. So yeah. think about that. The, the pattern holds true. We're not appointed unto wrath. And then and then the moment the, the wrath of God is 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 mentioned that it's coming, then we see uh a gathering uh in heaven of saints of of many hands, languages, right? We see them there. Yes. That's awesome, and that's exactly what we yes. see here in the yes. Solomon, right? We see a green fig tree that speaks of life, that tells us that the fig tree has come alive. Uh, you know, he has now poured out his spirit of grace and supplication. So she's alive. She's a messianic church, right? She's accepted her Lord. And the vineyard, giving forth the grapes of a fragrant smell. That's the church. Together we go up because we're all one. We're going to become one church. And then something very interesting is revealed here. Because what I believe we see here is is kind of like a, you know, like, you know, kind of like what we're hearing is a conversation and a declaration over his bride. He's already, he's come to get us and, and he's calling us forth. And then he says something really cool, because I think what we're about to see here is that Matthew 25 separation. We're not in heaven yet, but we're on our way, right? But look what happens. What does he say in verse 14, Brother Jeremy? Can you read that? Oh, my dove, thou, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance, countenance is calmly. This is really cool because these are those that are alive when he returns. And, and and really, the whole church has been there. But these are those specifically, I believe, who are alive right when he returns. And he describes them as 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 a dove in the clefts of the rock and in the secret places of the stairs. 
and, and we know we're in hiding, we're in protection there because he says, let me see your face. Let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice because your voice is sweet and your countenance is beautiful. Yeah. He, he hears your prayers and, and to look upon us, he loves us. He sees us and calls us beautiful. But I want to I show you something here, what he says. First, he says, oh, my dove. And you can go look at it up yourself in your own Strong's Concordance. The word dove literally means to be, uh, it also has the meaning of a banqueting wine, wine, a banqueting wine. And so it's, it's very uh, metaphoric language, very descriptive language as to who this group of people is. It is those that have been brought right now, he's going to take them to the banquet. The time of the marriage has arrived. It's the banqueting dove it's it's the banqueting wine it's his love it's his it's his it's his bride but she's now worthy of a banquet she's full of the spirit that's what wine represents is the is the holy spirit but where is she she's in the clefts of the rock notice it doesn't say she's in multiple rocks right it's one rock it's speaking of the lord jesus christ the cleft is that that place of protection in the rock. These are those that have been hidden and watched over and protected. They have made it through. They are those that they're alive and remain. That's a, that's a hopeful thing we would hope for, right? That we could witness that, be that unique generation that, that, that makes it through. It's not a pretty thing we're going to go through, but, but we have his promise. There is a group that's protected and it's, it's being revealed here. They're hidden in the rocks. They're hidden in Christ. These are the selected. These are the ones who love the Lord. These are the ones who know him. And and, and the fact that he asks her to come out uh, indicates and reveals, if you can see it, that we have been we have been protected by the Lord in these terrible days that are being protect, protected. It's his Gentile bride. But then the second thing is the secret of the stairs. And and, and what is the secret of the stairs? Well, there's many ways we can look at this, but I believe that the secret of the stairs, I believe the Lord is, has led me to think in this way, because we see both of them. Those that are hidden in the cleft of the rock is the Gentile bride, but they're all about to become one because he calls them one single thing, your face, your voice, right? It's one church. And he says uh, that this other part is in the secret of the stairs. What is that? But Jeremy, turn over to Genesis chapter 28. Yes. Okay. I'm here. Would you read to me this this incredible account in verse 12 first of all? Twenty-eight, twelve, Genesis. Uh, Twenty-eight, twelve, right? Okay. Yeah. And he and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Brother Jeremy, do you have your access to your Hebrew word thing there? I do. Tell us what the word ladder means. Let me go to pull it up real quick. Here we go. Twenty-eight, twelve. Ladder. It means uh, a staircase. 
There you go, you buddy. A ladder. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory what's, being revealed, what's being revealed here, stay there in Genesis 28 because we're going to look at something really cool, is is that the secret of the staircase, it, 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 it is that ladder. It's Jacob's ladder. It's referencing the Messianic Jews, the ones who will come to know their Messiah. We see those that are hidden in the cleft of the rock, the Gentile brides, but the Messianic Jews are included in this. See, it's the same reference that Jesus gave to, to Nathaniel, remember? When he said, I saw you under the fig tree, John chapter 1. You can read that later in verses 48 through 51. He, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And he goes, oh, you're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah. He goes, does that impress you? He goes, after this, you're going to see the son of man, uh, the angels ascending uh, and descending upon the son of man. He's referencing Jacob's ladder. And so this secret staircase is Jacob's ladder. Now read what Jacob says about it in, in 28. Uh, verse 16 and 18 through through 18, Brother Jeremy. Could you read that? And Jacob awake out of the, his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took up the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. What did he do? Poured oil. He poured oil on it. Isn't that incredible? He has oil. Oh. <laughs> he has oil, and he's at the gateway of heaven. And Jesus references this, or the Spirit of the Lord references this in the Song of Solomon. The secret place of the stairs is referring to Jacob's ladder, the gateway of heaven. It's the opening of the door that takes us into heaven. And he's going to lead us through that gate. And and, and it's interesting because the oil's there, right? It, it references, it's a reference to that Matthew 25 parable again. Those that go in, those that come through are those that have oil and those that enter in through the door. It'll be both made up of Gentile and Jew, one church saved by God in the end. Now, this is where the separation between the wise and the foolish take place. Just before the door is shut is verse 15. Can you read verse 15 of Song of Solomon, Brother Jeremy? The separation, that's what we see there, I believe. Okay, let me turn back to it. There we go, 15. It says, take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. So just before, they're, as we're being taken or, you know, everything that we've been talking about has been identified, so forth, so the gateway of heaven, there's a statement made here. Take us, which literally means remove or separate, seize from us the little foxes that spoil the vine. And we, and we don't have time to get into all that other than to say here, the, the, the foolish virgins really are those foxes that spoil the vine. And they must be removed. And as soon as they're removed, we say what in verse 16? My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lily. So once the little foxes are removed, he's come to get us. Now suddenly we're with him, and he's with us. And what are we doing? He's feeding amongst the lilies. That's the marriage supper yeah. of the lamb right yeah. there. 
we're with him mm. and, and 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 now the door is shut notice turn over quickly brother to uh revelation chapter 19 and remember what we just read okay. we've been separated we've been brought out of great tribulation um uh, and now we're with him in Song of Solomon, she she uses the term feedeth amongst the lilies. That's the marriage supper. And we see the same thing fulfilled in Revelation 19. Are you there? Yes. Read to us uh, verse 7 and 8. 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So notice how, you know, what is a lily? Way back in podcast one, we talked about what he was looking for, right? Uh, a, a, a lily amongst the thorns, right? We talked about lily being the purest and the whitest flower. It represents the righteousness of the saints. And here we see what they're referenced to in verse 16 of Song of Solomon is this feeding amongst the lilies is, is, is the marriage supper of the lamb reference. And here we see that the fine linen clean and white in verse eight is white, right? The, the beautiful purity. So we see the we see the connection and, and they're having this, this, this fee, this feast. And he says in verse nine, can you read verse nine, brother Jeremy? Yes, it says, and he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. So this is where we are now. We've come to uh, to this marriage supper of the Lamb, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. We've taken you extensively through the scriptures today and covered a lot of territory. So I suggest that you, you go back and, and look and follow along and study it out and you'll see. But notice what she does, because at the wedding feast, now we're at the wedding feast, we're in heaven. Uh, the seventh seal is about to be opened, and she speaks to the Lord. And what does she say? What do we see in what she says? Read verse 17, Brother Jeremy, Song of Solomon. Unto, unto the daybreak, and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe, hallelujah, or a young heart upon the mountains of Bethel. On the mountains of Bethel, very mysterious place. But let me say what she says here. You know, until the day breaks, before the day breaks, in other words, and, and the shadows flee away, what she's referencing is what the book of Revelation reveals will happen after the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's coming a glorious day. There's coming what the Bible calls a thousand years of millennial peace followed by a new heaven and a new earth. And she says, until that day, until the daybreak or the rising of the sun and the shadows are fleet away, there's no more darkness. Until that day, she then tells him, while they're at the marriage service, she says, now turn, my beloved, like, and go back and do something. Be a row or a young heart. And I think you you felt that, Brother Jeremy, when you said that, right? Be that, yeah, that prominent, that prominent, glorious, uh, powerful Lord, and go crush the mountains of Bethesda to dust 
that's what she's talking about. Well, do we see that pattern in the book of Revelation? Yes, we just read in, in chapter 19, there's a marriage supper taking place, and, and that marriage supper has to take place. And after the marriage supper, something happens in Revelation chapter 19. Could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? After this. Yes. After uh, the marriage. Verse, uh, 11. We're going to be in verse 10. 11? Okay. Yeah. And I 10. saw, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And then verse 19 and 20, could you read that? And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that worshipped worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. There we go. So after the marriage supper, he then gets on the white horse, and he comes, he turns back around and heads back to the planet, according to the book of Revelation here. And I believe that's what we see. And you can read the rest of it from 1911 all the way through because it describes him as the word of God and, and who he is. You know, like she says, you go be that that prominent, splendor, <laughs> glorious, honorable one and, and turn now because the day can't break. The sun can't rise and the shadows can't flee away. I know we're up here having this marriage supper and all, but that's not your destiny. Your destiny. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Your destiny and our destiny is to rule and reign with you a thousand years on the earth. So go back and let's finish with with Song of Solomon, because that's what we see here. What he does is he turns. He becomes the roe and the young heart. He's going to grind it to dust. The mountains of Bethesda, very, very, very uh, uh, mysterious place, but but really it, it represents that that place of concision and cutting. It, it's it's the mountains of the Antichrist. And I, I've run out of time where we could go into that very, very extensively. Uh, it took a lot to dig some things out, but, but that's really what it's referencing. That's what he's going to come back after he gathers her, after their, uh, the saints have been united with their Lord, the bridegroom with the bride, and, and he feedeth amongst the lilies who were having the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the time is over, she says, go back, my love. Let's go. Let's let, Let's go see you take possession of your kingdom, and we're coming with you. Hallelujah. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And I pray that, that it's been a blessing to you. You know, we're right at the doorstep, man. And, and yes. of all these things we're talking about, and I believe that the midnight has arrived. And and that's why we're preaching what we're preaching. That's why we're teaching what we're teaching. We hear his voice. He's coming. And there's, there's, yes. there's a lot that's, that's ahead of us. But it can happen quickly, as this year attests to. The question is, will you go out to meet him? Do you hear his voice? And do you have oil in your lamps? Can you pour oil on the rock <laughs> like Jacob did? Because if you don't, you need to hurry and do what you got to do to get that oil before the door is shut. Mm. And, 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 and we pray that this has been an encourage to you. Jesus is coming. 
we need not be afraid. Hide in the cleft of the rock, in the secret of the stairs. Trust him. He's our guide and our light, and a glorious destiny is awaiting his true bride. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We really, we praise the Lord, and and, and we pray that uh, that this series, <laughs> the culmination of this series, what a way to end it, right? He's coming to avenge the blood of the saints. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory <laughs> to God. So now whenever you're parking around Song of Solomon, you don't have to skip it anymore because you know, <laughs> hallelujah, what it says. And it speaks that Jesus Christ is coming again. And uh, we're so glad for this series. I believe this is the conclusion of this uh, Song of Solomon, Chapter 2. Unless the yes. Lord does anything else. <laughs> But I think we've been able to glean some very tremendous and powerful prophetic things that uh, we can apply to our lives. We pray that you've been blessed. Continue to pray for us as we pray for you. May God bless you. May God keep you. Keep looking up.